Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Before we start today, I'd like to thank all my supporters on Patreon, especially this week's new supporters. That's L. Camille Anderson, Ricky Smith, Stephanie Drabble and Linda McGurk. Also a huge thank you to Sheila and Gary Clark from Canada, who made a very large donation via PayPal. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate your help which keeps me producing this podcast weekly. I'd also like to thank friend of the show, Chris Wood, for researching and writing this week's episode about how friendship can alter terrifyingly quickly when one person's feelings change and the whole relationship falls out of kilter. It's a fascinating story from 2012, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Cheers, Chris. Before we begin, I am delighted to say that this week's episode is sponsored by ShipStation. I can't recommend ShipStation highly enough. When you are selling online, getting your orders out the door quickly can be tough, and that's why you need ShipStation. It's the fast and easy way to manage and dispatch your orders all from one place, even your mobile phone. You can use ShipStation to compare rates from top careers, including Royal Mail, FedEx, DHL and UPS. And ShipStation makes it easy to batch and print labels so you can get those orders out quickly and keep your customers happy. Now you can try ShipStation for free for 30 days, plus a special bonus when you use the promotion code UKTRUECRIME. Even I could remember that one. To get this special promotion, just head to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in UK True Crime. That's ShipStation.com and promotion code UK True Crime. ShipStation. Make ship happen. So the year when this story begins is 2012. In February of this year, David Rathband, the policeman blinded by gunman Raoul Moat in 2010, was found hanged at his home in Blythe, Northumberland. You'll no doubt remember this tragic case and David's death was the final tragedy of this extremely sad story. In February this year, the FA removed the Mother Teresa of football, John Terry, as captain of the England national football team over allegations of racial abuse of opponent Anton Ferdinand during a match. And later on in May this year, the very same Mr Terry would celebrate in full kit with his teammates after winning the Champions League against Bayern Munich. Anyone would have thought he'd actually scored the winning goal, but what was his contribution that night? That's right. He didn't even play. Has there ever been a player to have divided football supporters more? Loved in Chelsea, absolutely loved. And I guess loved is probably not quite the words used to describe him everywhere else. TV presenter Bob Holness passed away, age 83. I'm sure many of you will remember him best for his game show Blockbusters, back when our game shows were of genuine quality, not like The Cube or some of the other nonsense we sit through these days. Pointless springs to mind. Ah, the childlike sniggers of asking Bob for a pee. First class, huh? August saw Britain host the Olympic Games, where we all enjoyed that Super Saturday, where Team GB won all manner of medals. The following day, Andy Murray joined the celebrations by beating Roger Federer to win the men's singles final, securing Britain's 16th gold medal in the process. The atmosphere in London was amazing that month. One time on the tube, I looked up and someone actually caught my gaze. Oh, it was a magical moment. It almost brought a tear to my eye. 
And there was some really sad news later on this month when Winnie Johnson died. She was the mum of Moore's murder victim, Keith Bennett, the only victim whose remains have never been recovered. Winnie devoted her life to trying to find out where her son was so she could finally lay him to rest. And her dignity was humbling every time I saw her speak. Sadly, she was unsuccessful and it didn't happen for Winnie while she was alive. And we can only hope that in death, she's now reunited with her son again. And finally, in music this year, we will all introduce to Gangnam Style. Don't worry, although you and I both know you've danced to it at a wedding, your secret is safe with me. Cumbria is the county located in the far northwest of England, and Haverig is a small fishing village on the southwest of Cumbria. Cumbria is a lovely area to visit, the jewel in its crown being the Lake District, of course, that beautiful and scenic area of National Park, known for its glacial lakes, rugged terrain and mountains, not to mention the literary connections the likes of Beatrix Potter, the creator of the children's Peter Rabbit stories. To me, it's also known for its rain. Whenever I am there, it rains. It even rains there than another place I love to visit, Swansea, and it always rains in Swansea. Stacey Mackey was born in 1976 and she grew up in Haverig. Life wasn't easy for Stacey. She was born with clicky hips and problems in her spine, which was eventually diagnosed as being spina bifida. When she was only four years old, Stacey endured major surgery at Newcastle General Hospital. Following this and other treatment to correct her spine, Stacey was able to lead an enjoyable childhood, despite her father having left home when she was young which left her mum, Jackie, as the sole carer for her young daughter. Stacy left school at 16 with one ambition, which was to be a groom. Her love of horses was a huge part of her life, and she spent all her free time indulging her love of horses. A bit like your spare time is spent, indulging your love of this podcast. In 1996, Stacy's mum met a new man, and they had a child, Imogen, who Stacy adored sharing her love of horses with. The family unit was very close and tight-knit with Stacy and Jackie enjoying quality time including regular shopping trips together. They had that mother-daughter relationship that so many people strive for. Sadly, Stacy's life became even more complicated. Aside from the physical impairments she suffered from, in her mid-twenties Stacy began to suffer from poor mental health Doctors would repeatedly alter their diagnosis of her condition, which must have been so incredibly frustrating for Stacy and her family. I'm sure that many of you have endured similar feelings when it comes to specific agencies, whether for you or your family or friends. It can be so infuriating trying to find answers and clarity, often achieving neither as we feel like we're being passed from pillar to post. And of course, it all moves at a snail's pace. Some evenings, Stacy believed that she heard things. An innocent noise like the pipes calling down, for example, would be assumed to be something more sinister. She would hear voices too. It was both a scary and a worrying time for Stacy and her family. During this period, Stacy had been training to be a groom with her beloved horses, but she was forced to give up the job. Elements of it were becoming more complex and it just became too much for her. Following this setback, Stacy went home to live in Haverig with her mum, Jackie. The stability of her family home 
and the familiar surroundings was hoped would provide Stacy with the boost she needed with her health. But unfortunately, this was not to be the case. She became anorexic and her mental health deteriorated further. This was made even more difficult as Haverig was isolated and did not have access to the types of specialist services that Stacy required. And eventually it got to the point where Jackie reached that awful point for any parent, where she felt that she was unable to provide her daughter with the care that she needed. Consequently, Stacy and her mum searched for more appropriate housing in the locality, and they together found a supported housing unit in the nearby town of Kendall, home of the Mint Cake. Together they went to view the property, and Stacy came away from the viewing, feeling that she would like to try living there, not least because there were other people also living there who were in a similar situation to her, and she liked the thought of being part of a community, helping each other. On the 4th of October 2010, Stacy moved to the sheltered accommodation called Crag View in Kendall. Jackie helped Stacy to move into the flat, and typically, Stacy had many pictures of horses on the walls, and her favourite colour, purple, was prevalent throughout the flat. Initially, everything seems to be pointing towards the move being a wholly positive one for Stacy. She was making friends, and the overriding feeling was that she was beginning to wrestle back some control over her life. However, the independence that Stacy would gain in moving into her own flat would ultimately lead her into meeting a man called Terence Armour, who would change her life forever. In December 2010, Stacy had only been in her new flat for a matter of months, and she appeared on the cusp of a happier life. At this time, Terence Armour was home alone in Buttery Well Road, Kendall, grieving the loss of his late wife to breast cancer. Her passing had really affected him, and had sent him into a spiral of depression. Neighbours reported him as being a quiet character, fairly withdrawn, and the only sound they would ever hear from his flat was the rock and country music he would often play. Other than this, he could often be found propping up the bar at his local pub. All in all, a fairly innocuous man. Certainly there's no indication of the horror and fear he would later inflict. Armour was believed to be in need of a wheelchair. Certainly the locals in Kendall thought he was dependent upon his wheelchair to get around. The truth was, however, that although he did have a hump on his back, which forced him to walk with a bit of a stoop, he did not actually need the wheelchair. Instead, he chose when to need it when he felt it may benefit him. More of a concern than his physical ailments was his mental health, which was steadily deteriorating. Following the death of his partner, he was admitted to hospital and treated for severe depression. It was now March 2011, and their two worlds suddenly collided. Stacy was in the same hospital receiving treatment for a condition when she met Terence Armour. The two patients struck up a friendship, and upon leaving hospital, they both maintained their acquaintance with one another. Stacy's mum Jackie was not sure about Armour from the outset. She almost had that sixth sense that parents get about Stacy's new friend which just made her feel uneasy about him. When she told her daughter about her concerns, Stacy reassured her that he could never hurt her. After all, he was in a wheelchair. Stacy's thinking here perhaps confirms the naive innocence in which she lived her life. It was endearing in many respects, 
but sadly lacking the insight into some of the realities of life that we all face. But by now the pair had become close friends. Aware of her love for having flowers in her flat, Arma would often buy Stacy flowers, which no doubt helped confirm to Stacy that this was not a man to be afraid of or wary of in any way at all. The pair would have meals together from time to time as the friendship continued to grow. Jackie, however, continued to warn her daughter to be vigilant, as she did with any of her new friends, knowing that Stacy was vulnerable and unable to see any possible dangers in people. Despite the friendship blossoming, it was only ever a platonic friendship. Well, at least to Stacy it was. Due to the age gap between the two, he was 26 years older than Stacy. The relationship was perceived by many as more of a, a father-daughter type connection. The pair spent the Christmas of 2011 together and Arma presented Stacy with a bracelet as a gift. I wonder whether this was the first sign that he'd began to develop stronger feelings for Stacy and that perhaps he wanted more from their relationship than just being good friends. Certainly Stacy started to get this impression and it was something she was resolutely against. She did not see Arma as anything more than a friend at any stage. Realising that this was not a reciprocal feeling and that he wanted more from her, she decided to cool off their friendship. A month passed without Stacy contacting him before she decided to call him to apologise. Arma, however, reacted in a very aggressive fashion to the call. He began shouting obscenities, telling her not to contact him again and being very aggressive in his approach. This, no doubt, would have been very upsetting for Stacy. But Arma's fury had been ignited now, and the transition from Mr. Nice Guy was well underway. Arma began to bombard Stacy with calls and text messages, asking why she was ignoring him and what he had done to upset her. Stacy wisely chose not to respond to any of his ranting messages, which appeared though to build up his frustration further. The texting continued for days and began to have a big impact on Stacy. She was not able to cope with this type of abuse and she quickly became petrified. In such a fearful state, Stacy contacted her mum and arranged to meet up so she could show her some of the messages which had frightened her so much. On reading them, Jackie immediately advised Stacy to go straight to the police, which she duly did. Upon reporting the messages, the police called round to see Armour. But unfortunately, this visit did not have the desired effect for Stacy. Armour saw the police visit as intrusive and it riled him further into sending Stacy even more abusive text messages and he warned her never to call the police out to him again. On Saturday the 21st of January, Stacy ignored his warning and again called the police for help. Again it would be to no avail as owing to a mix-up when they were expected at Stacy's flat, she missed the call. The police had been called to another incident in Kendall, and when they returned to Cragview later that day, they spoke only to the staff and not Stacy. Staff at Cragview had taken the decision that it might have caused her more upset and anguish if the police had spoken to her, so they tried to deal with the police themselves. It's easy to try and understand the staff's viewpoint here. Ultimately, they were trying to minimise the distress to one of their clients. But equally, Stacy was a grown woman, capable of asserting any fear she had, and more importantly, 
Surely she was deserving of the opportunity to talk to the police directly and relay her fears to them. Stacy's mum certainly took that view and Jackie was furious with the staff at Crag View and called them to make this known and told them that she intended to take Stacy home where she could be safe. Although Armour had up to this point delivered abusive threats towards Stacy, he'd not acted on any of them. But following a lengthy drinking session in Kendall, Armour offered a glimpse into his simmering hatred as he offloaded to a taxi driver who was taking him home to Butterywell Road. As well as revealing his anger towards Stacy to the driver, it later appeared that Armour asked the driver where he could get battery acid from. A very strange question for a taxi driver to field, albeit they're certainly well versed in hearing odd and bizarre things from their passengers. Meanwhile, Jackie had begun making plans to bring Stacy home. She was certain that this man was a danger to her daughter. She couldn't see how the situation was going to go away and thought the best and possibly only solution was to take Stacy away from Armour's location. While Jackie was preparing to bring her daughter home, Armour was making other preparations of a much more sadistic intent. He was plotting to kill. On Thursday the 26th of January, Armour's plans were well underway. He'd gathered a selection of items at his flat that he intended to use to fulfil his plans. He filled a plastic bag with an axe, a roll of tape, two knives, some string, two bottles of white spirit and a screwdriver. With such items amassed, it was clear that the next day, Friday the 27th of January, the armour had only one thing in mind, and that was to cause physical harm to Stacy. On the afternoon of that Friday, blissfully unaware of his plans, Stacy had been trying to continue to enjoy living her life and pushing any worries about armour to the back of her mind. She'd always enjoyed swimming, and usually did this on a Friday, which she also did on this particular day. After her swimming lesson, she'd returned home to Cragview as normal, unaware what was being planned for her. Armour, at this stage, was merely in his flat, awaiting nightfall, poised for action. Prior to leaving, he even ordered himself his favourite meal, a Chinese takeaway. I think this says something about the man's state of mind, doesn't it? being fully aware of what he knew he was going to do, yet only hours earlier, relishing his favourite food. Having finished his meal, Armour took hold of his killing kit and left for Stacy's flat, and on this occasion, without his wheelchair. He took a short taxi ride to Cragview and was dropped off around the corner from her place just before midnight. Having tried and failed to break into the Cragview premises a couple of times, Armour remained determined that this was the night and he managed to enter through one of the residents leaving the door on the latch and so Armour was able to slink his way inside the building and on towards Stacy's room. Ian Raw, another resident at Crag View, chillingly encountered Armour as he was holding the axe and carrier bag and making his way upstairs towards Stacy's flat. Ian Raw immediately telephoned the police. Having reached her room, Armour began to draw upon the implements he brought with him, trying to prise open the door to her flat. Meanwhile inside the flat, Stacy was in bed and dozing off to sleep, before being awoken by the noises from her door. Wrapping her duvet around her, she got up from her bed to investigate the noises. As Stacy opened the door, Armour burst in, 
He immediately shut the front door and began pouring white spirit around the front of the doorframe and set it alight. It appeared that not only was Armour intent on murdering Stacy, but also killing himself. His actions were very clearly made with the intention of blocking off any possible escape route, as this door was the only means of escape from Stacy's first floor flat. If this behaviour was suicidal and terrifying, Armour's next actions were utterly horrific and evil. He ran into the sitting room where Stacy stood crying, still wrapped in her duvet, and he proceeded in dousing Stacy herself in white spirit and setting her on fire. The scene in the flat must have been utterly horrifying. It appears that what Armour saw in the flat that night made him change his mind about killing himself too. For once he had set Stacy alight, he went into the bedroom and began shouting and screaming from the window for assistance. The police were at Cragview within five minutes, having been tipped off earlier by the resident that saw him. As officers frantically tried to gain entry into Stacy's flat, they managed to barge down the door, and miraculously Stacy, in spite of her terrible injuries, actually met the police as they entered the flat, and they led her out into the lobby, leaving Armour still in the bedroom. At this point, the fire had almost extinguished itself on Stacy leaving only tiny pieces of her nightdress smouldering, but other than this, she was by now completely naked. Armour was also rescued from the flat, having suffered only minor injuries, but he immediately began demonstrating bizarre behaviour. When he was rescued, he closed his eyes tightly shut and steadfastly refused to open them, presumably because he was so terrified by what he'd already saw, and perhaps just trying to block it out. As Stacy was rushed to hospital, she told paramedics that her attacker was Terence Armour and heartbreakingly that she wanted her mother. Despite her excruciating injuries, she managed to provide Jackie's phone number and police sought about getting her to the hospital where her daughter lay fighting for her life. Armour was arrested for attempted murder and also additional offences that related to him having placed other people's lives at risk by his actions. Jackie was now by her daughter's side in the hospital. Stacy managed to protect her face and head, but the rest of her body was severely burnt. At approximately 4pm the following day, with her mum by her side, Stacy Mackey was tragically declared dead, as doctors described her injuries as insurvivable. She was just 35 years old. The charges against Armour were now upgraded to murder, which in true cowardly form, he denied. The subsequent trial of Terence Armour began on the 13th of June 2012 at Carlisle Crown Court. It was a shock to many that Armour had pleaded not guilty to the crime, particularly as the Cragview CCTV cameras had recorded crystal clear footage of him as he tried to gain entry into Stacey's flat. On the first day of the trial, the jury was shown disturbing footage of the night of the attack. It was taken from one of the officers first on the scene. The officer was wearing a body camera and it showed Stacy sitting in the lobby next to her flat. As the police officers tried to reassure her, she replied, I know I'm going to die. Isn't this just beyond words? This vulnerable and innocent young lady attacked in one of the cruelest ways imaginable and fully aware of the dire situation she'd been placed in by someone that she, she thought was a friend. Prosecutor Timothy Storey described to the court the magnitude of Stacey's injuries. 
The burns covered 80 to 95% of her body. But Armour had his own fanciful tale of how such burns had come to engulf Stacy. He claimed that while he was at the toilet, Stacy was trying to light a cigarette and she accidentally set herself alight. I'm not sure we've ever heard a worse cover story than that on this podcast. And as you know, we've heard some shockers. This absurd story did not, of course, add up. Prosecutor Story advised the court that an identical bottle of white spirit to the one found at Stacy's flat was found in Armour's home. DNA found on the bottle in her flat matched samples from Armour and white spirit was found on his trainers and clothes. Of course, Armour did have an explanation for this, that he'd been decorating his bathroom in Buttery Well Road. When police checked this out, it was, well, of course, utter rubbish. Armour's defence was essentially that Stacy had done this to herself owing to her depression and mental illness that she was suffering at the time. The police worked closely with the fire service on the case and were able to establish that the toilet door hadn't been opened during the course of the fire by the marks of the fire and the smoke and the damage that was caused. All of the evidence was contrary to what Armour was trying to claim had happened in Stacy's flat. Unsurprisingly, the jury did not believe Armour's ridiculous story and after just a week in court on the 20th of June and after less than two hours of deliberating, they found Terence Armour guilty of the murder of Stacey Mackey. Mr Justice Irwin ruled that 61-year-old Armour should serve a minimum of 27 years in prison before even being considered for parole, which was likely to be academic in light of his age and poor general state of health. The judge said that he'd been convicted on overwhelming evidence of a truly horrendous act. He went further, saying it was clear that Armour felt he had rights over Stacey, and upon her having ended their friendship, he formed the dreadful intention to kill her in a most terrifying manner. The judge also praised Stacey's family, who attended court throughout the trial. The dignity that they showed in what was clearly a most distressing situation was quite remarkable. He also commended two police officers for the work they did at the scene of the incident. PC Jane Collier comforted Stacy and held her by the unburnt skin of two fingers, as well as PC Robert Kerr, who tended to armour after the fire. DCI Mark Forrester confirmed after the sentencing that armour had shown no remorse throughout and had consistently lied through police interviews and his trial in court. He said... Armour's decision to plead not guilty meant that Stacey's family had to go through the the whole ordeal of a full trial where they had to relive the cruelty that led to her death. Stacey's family have been left devastated and our thoughts continue to be with them. I hope that today's result will help them as they try to rebuild their lives, he said. Justice has been served. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Once again and I find myself saying this way too often, it's hard to comprehend just what happened here, isn't it? We can only hope that Stacey's family have gained some notion of comfort and justice in the sentencing that was passed to Armour. When I hear stories like this, I'm always struck by when the transition in the relationship occurred that led Armour to decide to physically hurt Stacey. And how did Armour feel when he decided on his premeditated act? It sounds from the evidence that we've heard that he was very calm ahead of carrying out 
his murderous plans. But enough of Terence's armour. With the length of his sentence and his poor state of health, he is going to die in prison for his crime. And it's hard to find any sympathy for him. That must lie with poor Stacy, who was just 35 when she died. Once again, I'm just left so sad that she never had the opportunity to live a full life. A final note from the judge is perhaps a fitting way to conclude here. He said that he hoped Stacy's family would eventually realise that armour was rare in his wickedness and that not all people are like him. This is undeniably a tragically moving case, but it is so important that we remember those words and that even on this scale is thankfully, despite what we hear on this podcast most weeks, a rarity indeed. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Please head to our lively Facebook group to discuss this case and any other aspects of UK true crime. To support the show, please head to Patreon, where you'll be able to enjoy the 13 full-length bonus episodes, along with other exclusive content. So until we chat again next week, a final thank you to Chris Woods for bringing this case to our attention, and a reminder to support my sponsor, ShipStation, if you possibly can. So until we put the needle on the record again next week, it's cheerio from me.